Welcome to Mormons on Mushrooms. In this podcast, we discuss alternative methods for healing from trauma and seeking a fulfilling life. We often discuss triggering topics, and we ask that you make your personal mental health a priority. In addition, the opinions offered by our guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the hosts of this podcast. If you'd like to support the program, please visit www.patreon.com forward slash Mormons on Mushrooms. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Usually when we have guests, when they come on, Mike and I like to stand up so that when they come on, they see this. Wait, turn to the side. Let me see your tattoo. Damn, brother. That is cool. That That's 80 hours of tattoo time. That's 80 like, hours? Wait, eight, eight, zero? Eight, zero. Yeah. Wow. On your ribs. Not a fun time. Like, I got, I got like 30 and 40 hours on my arms, but ribs, 80 yeah. hours, not a fun time. Yeah. Dang. I'm a fan of your hair, man. I don't think I've ever seen you. I, I've seen Mike. Well, I know Mike. Not... I was like, "Hey, Doug, I know your voice." <laughs> <laughs> cool. My hair is a my hair is a source of constant consternation at work and at home because when I was growing it out, my wife was like, "No," but now she's like, "No, don't cut it. I like it." And at work, people are like, "You don't look very professional," and I'm like, "Fucking redefine professional." Like, then fuck all the way off, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you want me to like? Yeah. Anyway, you know, rocking a corporate man bun is awesome. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> is this guy? Hey, hey, you know what? I am. I'm, I'm all cue balling it. So hey, dude, as I long as he the- keeps his beard, I'm happy. I don't care what happens up here. Beard. <laughs> hey, bald and beard is a very like virile, masculine, powerful, sexy thing. I wish that I could pull that off, but I have a weird shaped head. So you look good, and I'm kind of horny right now about you. <laughs> like 90% morning you know all the time. So I hear that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I you guys haven't met. What? I forgot you guys haven't seen each other. Doug and yeah, I, I like feel like I know your voice. And when I like think drugs, it comes out in Mike and Doug's voice in my head. <laughs> like you're like, remember like the little Jiminy crickets on my shoulder? It's like Doug and Mike. And how much should I take, Doug? I don't know, Mike. How much should she take? Like That is probably the highest praise we've ever, we have a, we have a person who, um, we were actually just talking about it. They, it seems like they're a fan of the podcast and they are very artistic and they, they do a lot of art things, but they're all, this guy is always texting us like art ideas. You, Wendy, you just gave me an art idea. We need a Jiminy Cricket, Mike and Doug on someone's shoulders. Yes. 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 (laughs) Because I'm always going to be like more, more drugs, more drugs. <laughs> and Mike's going to be like, well, let's hold, well, hold on. Let's do the right amount of drugs. So maybe it's more like angel and devil rather yeah. than two Jiminy's. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I was just going to say, don't listen to Doug on how much you should dose. He's just going to like, he's going to, he's going to be trick, tricksy about he's it. Like, I, I think know. you should maybe do like 13 grams. What the hell? No. <laughs> I mean, 
We've been, yeah, I, I've been sneaking Mike drug, like my, yeah, none of it's non-consensual, but Mike and I have done drugs together and I'm sometimes sneaking him a little extra drugs. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to hear like one of my top five fantasies and yes. not a sexual fantasy? Yes. Like my top. So all of our families are incredibly Mormon. Like we're the only ones that have left as TBM as they come. Both of our parents work in temples. Like it's a lot. My top five fantasy is to get all of my siblings, their spouses, and my wife, give them, or my parents, and give them all MDMA and have a family home evening. Can you imagine that? Right? Can you? I mean, I was like, oh, let's clear so much of the shit between all of us. And everybody puts their ego down. And just hug and love. And like, oh, I like literally have dreams and fantasies about it because I want it to happen so bad. <laughs> same, same. We, I, yeah. Wendy, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a real life, like same sort of like, like same page. This yeah. week, so today, the reason I'm dressed like this, I went to a missionary homecoming today for I my. I don't niece. know how you normally dress. So I this normally be- dress like I'm a homeless person. That's what I usually look like. Okay. <laughs> but today, but today, I do have like a button up shirt, and I'm wearing slacks. Yeah, you look handsome. But like. Because we were at my in-laws, my my niece came home from her mission. So we were doing a mission homecoming. And so the weekend has oh. been just like hanging out, chilling. They're all very TBM. Yeah. And my yeah. wife and I were talking last night, like, you know, I have, I have mushroom chocolate bars that I had with me. And I was like, what if I just gave everybody some chocolate and was like, hey, this is a friend of mine, homemade chocolate. No big <laughs> deal. Didn't tell them anything. And then we just sat around and like yes. fucking healed from some real oh. shit for a while. But right. my wife was like, no, I'd like to do that. But that seems a little bit like dropping a Mickey in someone's drink, you know, type of things. <laughs> like like roofing people. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. But just, just thinking about it just kind of makes me happy. <laughs> I mean, I doubt I'd ever do it, but just like, oh, can you even imagine? I just, oh, I mean, they've healed me so much that I just, and my family did. They really did like so much. But yes. I'm well, it nuts. it's teaching me I need to up my fantasy game. I mean, my fantasy is like sharing a beer, <laughs> sharing a beer with my dad, right? But now it's that like going to be awesome too, right? That would, yeah, that's going to be awesome. That'd be so awesome. That's going to happen like, someday. But <laughs> you all are good at fantasies. My, I feel like the dude in you know that movie Office Space when he's like, "What would you do if you didn't have to work? You had a million dollars," and the guy's mm-hmm. like, two girls at one time, dude." That's like my my fantasies. Do not go beyond like, yeah, I'd have to get a million dollars to get a couple of girls to double up on a guy like me. And I'm like, <laughs> I get it. I'm with you, dude. Like I'm, I'm in. Maybe half a million, Doug. Maybe not a full Half million. a million. Half a million is good. Half but, a million. Know, that's that's cool, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think hookers are that expensive. You can get it easier. About. Can get it. <laughs> well, but I live in Idaho, so I don't know what kind of hookers I'm going to be able to find in Idaho. Like, they're probably at, like strung out on something, but yeah, not not that I have any problem with that. I'm strung out all the time, so which oh is why God, we're here this today. This is going right? to be our best episode ever. I know, right? <laughs> I'm so excited already, <laughs> you guys. We're like Tom and I were talking. We're like, we don't really know how to narrow the show. Like, there's so much. So you're going to have to sort of guide us. Like, I mean, where where do you want us to start? I, are we even recording? Let's go I hit record goes. like I always do, and then we'll figure out where to start the thing. But we'll cut we'll cut this <laughs> out. <laughs> <laughs> we might cut, but or Doug, holy smokes, 
or Mike. I love it. Like, those are your lines. We said it all in the first 30 seconds. So, and that's a wrap, folks. (laughs) We're done. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this episode. We just got all of our things out. Let's just make a list. Let's just read the list you want to talk about and then be like, anyway, everybody, look into that. It's great shit. Goodbye. And 15 minutes and done. And then I love so a non- Wendy and Mike have actually met each other at LA Pride. Yeah, oh, man. So maybe we start with yeah. there and where we first met, Wendy, a little bit. Right. So yeah, met- that was, when, when was that? Was that like 2013, 14? 14? It had to have been like 13 or 14 because I, I was in my, I no longer believe, but I'm still going to pretend phase. Yeah, because um, you it was Sunday morning and you showed up like in a white shirt and tie, like you had like left church early and you had one of your kids with you. And I was like, I like this guy. He's like, I'm gonna go to church and then I'm gonna march in pride. It's like, yeah, that's a kind of Mormon I can still be a friend with, you know? Right. Yeah. yeah so we I showed up. Yeah. Um, I think I just came straight from an elders quorum presidency meeting. <laughs> and then <laughs> that's very important. Yes. Very important. <laughs> Which then, family needs to be visited this week? The Anderson family need to be visited this week. Well, did I we tell need, you that when I got... Moving. What's that? Sorry. How many moves do we have lined up this month? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, but my elder school president, he was intense, you guys. We would go on visits every week. And when I accepted the calling, so he gave me the calling right when I... So I was the elder school secretary. Then I no longer believed in the church. And then he called me to be his first counselor. And he's like, I'm going to give you... You're going to be in charge of the inactives. And I'm like, oh, Okay. So we're going through the list and there are a couple of people in our ward. He's like, now these guys are the scary inactives. I'm like, what do you mean by that? Uh, well, they, they don't go to church cause they just don't believe it anymore. And I was like, Ooh. And so of course I sent them an email and we had drinks with them and a couple of weeks later. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I ain't scared. Yeah. <laughs> was Real like, quick yeah. on a technical standpoint. Um, are, are they breaking up a little bit with you, Doug? Or yeah. I wonder okay. if we can. Um, what do we need to do? Say right. something. I'll just come closer a little bit. Oh yeah, yeah that's, that's that's like good. Me. Yeah, that's good on better? my end. Mike, good on your end. Yep. Okay. Perfect. Okay. Yeah, just let us know if it's getting too quiet because this is the volume's as loud as it'll go on the laptop. So. Perfect. There you go. <laughs> so I think I think I want to start with the pride thing and where we met. Okay. Um, because I think you know a lot of people know maybe your story, and it's such a fucking amazing Beautiful. story. You and your kids, and um, so let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, because that's kind of what led you out of the church too, right? Uh, Jordan's mm-hmm. story, and yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I'll just give you like the, the brief overview because we could talk about that. I mean, it's a and, long involved. Yeah. You know, and we can point people um, to your Mormon stories. I think episode or, where or, or you mm-hmm. talk or where you go in that story in more detail, but yeah. Yeah. You can put any of that in the show notes or, you know, different news pieces or whatever. Um, so Jordan came out, he's our oldest. He came out in January, 2012 on Super Bowl Sunday, which we still laugh about because like the most hyper-masculine day of the year, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, and he was 13 at the time and we could not be more Mormon, like super duper Mormon. Brigham Young is my fourth great grandfather through his third wife. Like elder scorn president. Yeah. Like all of at the, the time. The women, yeah, all the women's callings that I could have, I've had, like, we just, we did it all. And like, I was as in, as in could be, you know, but still having a lot of like, 
stuff putting on my shelf, but I didn't know at the, like all of feminist stuff, everything revolving around the feminine divine heavenly mother was very present for me at like 12, 13, like it mattered so much. And I would ask about her and that gets shut down. You know, you can't, she's too sacred to talk about. We don't know enough about her. And I honestly thought when I went through the temple, I was going to learn about heavenly mother because of all the sacred places that is where it, that's where it should happen. Right. Same. So, you know, imagine my disappointment <laughs> when it was so masculine, so male in every way. And I'm feeling very, very small. And so that was, I mean, you, you think about it for a man, there is heavenly father, Jesus, Holy ghost, prophet, apostles, bishop, state president, men everywhere, everywhere. And I'm looking at this going, and from a very young age, it was like, I want a feminine divine role model. I want, it felt like spiritually growing up in a motherless home. Like I just felt, and I had a bro- two older brothers that when I turned 12, they were passing and blessing the sacrament. And I remember asking my mom, well, I want to do that. Why can't I pass the sacrament? Like, and she looks at me and she goes, oh, honey, you get to have babies. That's okay. I'm 12. <laughs> I'm 12. It's the last thing I want. But I, I just, so there was so much of that. And I kept asking and, and I just kept, mm. so it was just sort of this thing that was always important to me, but could never be accessed, you know? Mm-hmm. So that was like my big thing, but so Mormon still that I just sort of like, okay, that's something I will learn about in the next life. And I'll get to know her better there. And um, so when Jordan came out in 2012, it was, um, there was never even a second where we thought, oh, yuck, or, oh, we can't, I don't know how to love a gay kid, or there was none of that. It was immediate love, protection, defending him. Like mama bear became mama dragon. Like you stand behind me and I will protect you. And, but it became intensely hard to be Mormon at that point. Like that is where all my cognitive dissonance happened was in Mormonism. And I don't know how to do this as a Mormon mom with this adorable, I mean, he's 13. He's the cutest of cute kids. Like so innocent. And I was so, because I like loved the church so much, people, good people. I just thought, oh, they just don't know gay people. As soon as they know gay people, they're going to be like, oh, of course, forget Prop 8, forget all that. Like we just, we just didn't know how great they were. You know, it's, that's where my mind was almost. So we're going to talk about, we're going to like, so love him, so embrace him. And it's going to be so wonderful in our ward and they all love him. And and it was not that, <laughs> not that yeah. at all. It just, I, I think know. it's also important to, it's not like he came out and it was all, uh, you know, sunshine and rainbows because he had been in a really bad place for about a year and we didn't really know why grade suffering. He's going through a process of changing over all his friends from Mormon friends to kind of sketchy school friends that didn't make a lot of sense to us. So there were a lot of signs that he was in a lot of distress and his coming out coincided with a lot of, you know, there was suicidal ideation for a 13 year old. And, and that was, so there were. To the point where I was sleeping on the floor of his room. I was afraid to leave him alone. We hid knives, we hid pills. 
I, I, I was afraid to let him go to school because what happened would happen on the way home or the way back. Like we were terrified. He was in a right. really dark place. Well, there's also this immediate for me, a great, huge amount of dissonance that being Mormon was causing an innocent 13 year old kid who's never had sex, never even looked at porn or anything as innocent as a child could be is suicidal because of things we taught him and like putting, he's in this paradigm where I remember him asking what happens when everybody goes to heaven and I don't get to go with you. Like he understands what the gospel is teaching. It's not theoretical. He knows that it means him being gay means he doesn't go to heaven with his family. And he knows that explicitly. And so he's in a lot of trauma. I mean, yeah, we did we we immediately turned to 180 and it was it was hardcore whiplash in Mormonism to 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 do that. And it probably took months for us to really uh, get our feet under us. And even at then, there, there was no, re- there was really no resources. In fact, um, we ended up having to create a lot of the resources we thought we needed. We connected with some people in San Francisco, and Wendy uh, connected with a woman named Caitlin Ryan, and we did. That same December, so this was January, by December, we had a whole film crew come to our house from the Family Acceptance Project. Yeah, I think and, that. Yeah, and that's, that was literally this same year that he came out. <laughs> and it was within a week of the church's first version of mormonandgays.org. Right. <laughs> was it really? Yeah. That makes me so happy. And the so, first version was kind of a shit show, wasn't it? I mean, oh, oh, yeah. it was bad. Even yeah. even the second version, like they had called us in and we had helped for the second version. They had us like consult on it. Yeah, and we was... were like, we were like, nope, nope, nope. Oh, that's good. Nope, nope. And they kept everything we said. No. Uh, so like it didn't even matter. It's we're there. interesting. The people who were in the room that we were doing consulting with who were the. Don't say me. I obviously the point people. Have all left the church. <laughs> They're out. Yeah. And enjoying some of the same substances that we enjoy. How I mean, how could they yeah. how could they not? Yeah. I mean, any any right. any they're, they're, they're into anything like yeah. that, it takes you to a place of what the fuck are we doing? Anything, right. any We're, any surface level people. dive will take you into a place of whoa, this is like some medieval bullshit, right? Right. right. Well, what's and, really and causing funny, children to not want to live. Yeah. Yeah. There, the church would do these vignettes, like spend a lot of money, do these video vignettes on people who were gay and still in the church. Like celibate lives. Right. But, but literally, because so there's this lag time, you know, you develop it. But usually within six months to a year, that celibate person they were interviewing had had a boyfriend, girlfriend, and was out of the, no longer celebrated in the church. And they would contact the church and say, yeah, about that. I, I probably know. And they have to pull them off. All this money, they, they can't. Right. Because they're dating. I know yeah. at least a, like a dozen situations uh-huh. where they're like, oh, well, yeah, I guess we have to pull that off. 
rather than it's an unsustainable paradigm to say you've got to be celibate the rest of your life it's Mm -mm. it's not how they think that's an honest thing that you can ask any individual in the world yeah you you get to be go to same heaven heterosexual people do but you just have to be celibate your whole life and then you'll be fixed in the app. And their and their reward in the celestial kingdom is exactly what they don't want. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like heterosexual marriage. They're like, ew, I don't I don't want that's my reward. It's what I don't want. Yeah. Right. Don't like, worry, you'll be fixed in the afterlife. What the what do you mean fixed? Like oh, my dad you're describing hell to me when you describe heaven. Thank you, church. Yes. Yeah. 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 So suicide prevention was literally on the table from the start as as the, one of the biggest obstacles. Conferences we're going to the the video we did with Family Acceptance Project, uh, taking our kids to to affirmation. And every is, pride we could, like that's where Mike and I met. Every pride that was within driving distance, I would drive my kids to. So especially for Jordan, so he could be around other gay people. I mean, if you think of most of our lives, it's so heteronormative. Mom, dad, aunts, uncles, grandma, grandpa. He is he's not around any gay people. He doesn't see what a future for himself looks like because he's never seen it. So we would start meeting all these gay couples. And I was inviting everyone to our house, this super cute gay couple that we became really good friends with in L.A. at the time. I was and we were in like central California. And I was like, I will pay your gas. Come stay the weekend. Just be here. I just want him to see because they were like mid 20s. And I was like, just come be here and let my son see this is your future. Look at how happy, healthy, successful they are because he couldn't see it, you know, because there's. The Mormon plan, especially for boys, you know, deacon, teacher, priest, elder, mission, temple marriage, family, children, gay people do not fit into that plan at all. So what are they left with? I mean, they look into their future and it is a question mark. It's this big black hole, you know, and I was like, that won't be him. I want him to see like, oh, look at these cute kids. They're like, this can be you. And it was when we... Because we were immediately loving and accepting of Jordan. This changes nothing. What pulled him out of him being suicidal was two things. It was being around other gay people and watching our actions match our words. Because so many other parents of gay kids will be like, oh, I love you. I accept you. But let's not tell anybody. And that is like there's a shame attached to that where you're telling them like, oh, I don't want people to know this about you. No, no, no. I. I was a neat, like, as soon as I'm like bearing my testimony, talking about my gay son and, you know, calling the bishop out on shit and his scoutmaster that was horrific. Like I went at him, like what are, and as soon as he saw us like putting our like social capital, you know, and risking that and risking family relationships with aunts, uncles, siblings, parents, all like he came before all of that. And that's where he's like, oh, they mean it they really mean that they love us and that they accept me. And I was like, yeah, I mean it in every possible way. And man, we got shit for it. Like, I mean, I'm not sure family relationships will ever be the same. Like we were constantly threatened with church discipline, pulling our recommends, you know, we're going to be disfellowshipped. And actually we had met with elder Christofferson once and he ended up calling our state president and told our state president to like back off, like leave them alone. They're doing really good work. So because our, yeah. really, our intention 
in those first few years when 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 you met Mike was we just need to help the church along here and create safe spaces for LGBTQ in the church and and educate leaders and you know all all of this work I mean everything was really dedicated to trying to work inside the framework of the church and a lot of people are in that space now. I, it's it's hard to sustain that space because they really, really don't want it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and the other thing that's rough is even if you have a ward where like 98% of the people are good, you're going to have 2%. And that's maybe broadly over society that are really homophobic assholes. But the problem in the church is the doctrine backs up the homophobic asshole, not the 98% that are good. So when they, like, literally when Jordan was passing the sacrament, there was 2%, there was a handful of people in the world who would not take the sacrament from him. Gosh. Holy shit. And he's 13. He's 13. 13. And the bishop obviously knows and has mm-hmm. obviously okayed his, and they still won't, would not. 13 and, and think, probably more quote unquote worthy than the other boys passing the sacrament right? at the time. Sure. He's yeah. certainly not fooling around with a girl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the funny, not funny, the, the very telling thing about that situation was it happened three different times and I watched it happen. Cause you know how you pat the boys pass and then they move backwards. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. So he passes it to a man and the man kind of says like this. And my first thought was, oh, he's abstaining for whatever personal reason. Maybe he's on, you know, disfellowshipped or whatever. I don't know. So I didn't think anything of it. <clears throat> and then as he's moving backwards and passes it to the next row, that man motions another deacon over and then takes it from that man. And I watch my, and we're sitting back a little bit, and I watch my son's shoulders just slump and look down. Like I could just feel his humiliation and his shame. And I like furious, like steam out my ears. And I look at the bishop and I watch, I watch him watching it happen. You know, so I know he's seeing it. So the second sacrament was over, I like booked it to his office. Somebody was in there talking to him. And I was like, I'm sorry, this is an emergency. I need to talk to the bishop. Nobody cares about who you jerked off to. I need to talk about some real shit here. Right. Thank you. Thank you. So I, I looked at our bishop who was a good man, kind, sweet guy. And I said, I know you saw what happened. And he sort of like nods and he goes, yeah, that was really unfortunate. And I said, are you going to do something about it? I said, I don't need you to call him out and publicly embarrass him, but you could either talk to this man privately or even just say something general in elders quorum. Like, you know, I just want to let you all know that the deacons that pass our sacrament, I have interviewed them all and found them worthy to pass, like just something general, right? Something other than nothing. Right. Yeah. And and he kind of hems and haws a little bit. And I was like, are you going to address this? You And I said, you know, Jordan's worthy to pass. Right. And he says, yes, absolutely. I have no doubt. And I was like, so how do we rectify this? And he says this to me, he goes, Sister Montgomery, you're just one family. We can't upset the apple cart for just one family. <laughs> and we met with our state president like a month or so afterwards around like the same type of stuff. And he said the exact same the phrase. The exact same phrase. So I was so like, you know, oh, that's y'all what... are talking about us. with, And that's yeah. the phrase. That We're was like the, the apple cart from the state down. 
was mm-hmm. this is just one family. We're not upsetting the apple cart, even though it's only the 2% of the homophobes mm-hmm. that won't, t- you know, that are having the problem. But that's the problem is the doctrine is on that their side. Mm-hmm. It backs up the homophobe, not the family with the LGBTQ kids. Mm-hmm. So they're the who's expendable in this situation mm-hmm. is not the homophobe. It's the LGBTQ family or individual. Oh, there's, there's historical precedent for it. That's the reason uh, Nephi cut off Laban's head is because it's better that one man die than an entire mm-hmm. nation suffer right. disbelief. So that's what, that's the modern. Right. So Laban and 13 year old gay kid. That's exactly right. What? Laban and a 13 year old gay kid. And what does that even mean? By the way, when I was 13 years old, my, I was not defined by my sexuality. And so nope. your your Jordan and is wiser than any of these fucking uh, old white men who think they got little pieces of wisdom that they're going to impart in you know high priests or elders quorum or stuff like that. But you know what? I don't want to hear about their trials of should I or should I not be honest at my dentist's office where I work. Fucker, do, be honest all the time. What do you What do you mean? What's your right. What's your story? What I don't even know what your story yeah. is. But meanwhile, right. we got a kid who's got this old man. I'm saying old man because I'm saying anybody who's over 13 is an old man when you're that age. Sure. This old man is sitting here going, I'm making a judgment call about what I think about your sexuality live and in front of everyone. Mm-hmm. I can't even wrap my head around that because the fact of the matter is I've sat in sacrament meetings. And if I wanted to picture the sex life of 99% of the people in those sacrament meetings, gross. I don't want to picture it. Ew. So stop yes. picturing my 13 year old son's sex life. You fucking perv. You know what I mean? Because he doesn't have one yet. He doesn't no. have one. No. You're perverted. Yes. That guy well, shouldn't I mean, have been taking the sacrament, not because of your son, but because of his own like stuff. Right. Because right. of his own shit. Yeah. I mean, so, and then we find out a few months later, because we keep meeting with our bishop and stake president, like, monthly, because we want to keep this issue in front of them. Like, no, 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 we're not doing this, like, ooh, we're going to pretend like Jordan. No, no, no. We are fixing this. Like, I am bound and determined that if we just talk about it enough, people are going to start, like, being like, oh, yeah. Like, I'm so naive and, like, hopelessly optimistic at this point. And, but we find out that... Jordan had an asterisk put in his church records. Do you know what that means? Have you heard about that? No, I've never heard. This is this is news to me, and Same. I'm sweating from anger right now. So please tell us about the <laughs> asterisk. Me too. So, me too. So anyone in the church who either the church leaders discover is gay, or they know they practice gay sex, or whatever. They put in a permanent asterisk on their membership record. Wait, it's more than just that. Anybody that's been convicted of a sex crime, like if you've gone to prison, if you've raped somebody, child molesting, any way that you might be a danger to somebody else, the asterisk means you can't be in any type of church leadership and you can't work with the youth or primary. And right. my son is 13 and has now been branded with a scarlet letter that a lowly little bishop can put on his record. Do you know who gets to take them off when and if they come off? 
the first presidency. Oh my God. Nobody, wow. like when we met, we met with Elder Christofferson two different times in his office and then other times like in a more social setting. But I specifically asked him the first time I was like, can you remove his asterisk? He's never even held a boy's hand. He's never done anything. And he looked at me, he's like, I don't have that authority. Only the first presidency can. But a bishop can put it in there. So, the, so he's the, bishop can, the bishop can put it on there, but can't remove yeah. it. That's yes. It's flagging it's, the membership record. Yeah, it's permanent. permanent. So and it's, third- it's supposed to be for like somebody that's like, like a pedophile or a sex offender so that yeah. they know not to put them in the youth or primary or nursery or whatever. But it's used for gay people too. Because in Mormon view, gay is pedophile, right? And gay, gay equals rapist, kids. pedophile, child molester. That's what gay yeah. equals in the, oh man, yes. this is, this is a bummer to like, I know all this, but like hearing it out mm-hmm. loud, really, really, really messes with my good mood. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, yeah, no, this I, is we, story. Yeah. Welcome Doug. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and here's what I love about this, and maybe this will help segue into some of like the divine feminine stuff I think we could really get into is that you said there, you became a, you transitioned from a mama bear to a mama dragon. Oh, yes. And you think of like, you know, I'm thinking of it in terms of, and Wendy, I think I said, I don't think I'm okay to share this, but you showed up a dream of mine lately. Yeah. And it was kind of, I like feel honored. Yeah, but it was in a role like that. So I actually walked this dream through with my therapist and I was talking about your story and mama dragons. Mm -hmm. And my therapist is like, you have a mama dragon inside of you now who's going to stick up for little Mike, who's going to Mm -hmm. be there for him. And you think of what Jordan went through at 13 and how you said earlier, you went through the temple, hoping to hear about heavenly mother, hoping to hear about Mm -hmm. feminine, this divine feminine who we can reach out to. And mm-hmm. you got nothing. Mm-hmm. But then now your little boy at 13 knows what a fiery divine feminine will do, you know? And like mm-hmm. to think that when we think of setting boundaries for ourselves and reparenting our inner child, I think a mm-hmm. lot of us Mormons need a mama dragon mm-hmm. in there to help set those boundaries, to be there, like in my own situation, to. T- uh, tell my bishop at the time, no, my boy's not going to go in there and tell you his masturbation stories. Hell no. Right. Ew. Right. Yeah. Ew. And, yeah. Ew. Yeah. So mm-hmm. kudos is what I'm trying to say. You know, oh my like, gosh, Mike, I, and sorry, Tom and Wendy, I know that like, but Mike just, Mike just blew my mind because Mike just made the bridge of y'all were seeking the divine feminine in the temple at church, further light and knowledge and accidentally realize that you are the divine feminine. Like that, that mm. Mike saying that mm. fucking blew my heart open a little bit. Like oh. that's huge. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It my. feels like it's healing a piece of me hearing that actually. Cause that, I mean, me and five other women started Mama Dragons. I don't know if you're familiar with that organization, but there was five of us that were all in the same boat, like all moms, Mormon moms of LGBT kids. And there's zero, there's nothing, there's no support. And you want to support your kids 100%, but we also needed support. We're like, ah, you know, 
how do we do this? How do we keep our kids safe? They're suicidal. Like, and how do we help them be happy and thrive? And so we become, we became like each other's network. And honestly, there were moments where I was like, man, I can smile and laugh again because of these women where I'm like in the thick of it. Like just, it it got dark for a little bit, but mama dragons now has 5,000 women across the country. I was like, and that's nothing that special that we did. It's like, it just speaks to the need. There's such need, you know, cause we ever, you know, you guys are parents, you know what it's like. You would walk through fire for your kids. And if somebody comes at your kid in any way that demeans them or makes them feel small, man, the claws come out. Yep. And when it's your church leaders, I mean, what a mind fuck. These are the men and women, but men especially, that have stewardship over you. They're supposed to love you and get guidance and inspiration for you. And when that's not happening, and they are like, there was this whole moment, I remember so specifically where I'm like, I am feeling deep in my soul what I'm supposed to do for my son. Like, I'm supposed to speak about this. It's healing him to see us be public about this and, and have him know we have your back no matter what. And every man in my life, other than my husband, was telling me to shut up. My dad's brothers, um, bishop, stake president, everyone was saying, you need to stop. What you're doing is wrong. You are hurting the church. You're hurting your family. You are slowly leading them down to hell. That was my favorite. I got that one quite a bit. And I was like, no, no, no. Inside, I am definitely feeling like this is the right thing. And there was just a shift where I was like, oh, I'm not listening to outside authority anymore. I'm listening to this authority. Because this is what my son needs. And I am feeling it from whatever source, universe, you know, spirit guide, divine feminine. I am feeling it strong. And I was like, I'm not listening to that anymore. And it was, that was a really powerful shift. And now it's like, if something's not resonating with me, I don't give a shit who's saying it. I don't care if it's, you know, prophet, whoever, my dad. mm -mm. No, 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 no. I'm the authority for my children and my husband, of course. But Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I got some strong feelings about this. Sorry, y'all. Oh, like, I'm going to get passionate. Just a Mike said is these mama dragons went into all of these spaces where there's all sorts of vulnerable kids with sometimes shitty parents or no parents or kicked out of homes and became the mama dragon parents for hundreds of other kids. And, you know, I, I know sleeping on all of our couches, like we'd pull them off the street sometimes because they were just kicked out of their homes. Right. No, no not even exaggerating. Just just to kind of fast forward, because I know it, it's not a story that got better before it got worse, because fast forwarding, it went through the exclusion policy, which was in November of 2015, which was devastating. Um and then it went through a period of time where because Wendy was in such a high profile place, knew so many people. And within a handful of months, we knew of 32 suicides in, three months. in the church. A church re- people, and those are people that I knew about personally, and I'm sure there was many more that I didn't right, know about. Right. You know, I mean, not just a handful. I mean, those are it, it was. I mean, at any other point in your life. Outside of war, have you ever known of 32 people that you know die? And that's what it felt. And it is all honestly at the church's feet. 100%. 
So this, this was probably like the death knell for me with the church because I was trying so hard. Like my faith is unraveling, but I am determined to stay because there are gay kids in those pews. And I want them to know that they have a friend and an ally there. But what made it where I just couldn't anymore was February of 2016. So about three months after the policy, I'm on the board of Affirmation. I don't know if you guys know that. It's an LGBT Mormon organization. I'm on the board of directors for that. And I mentioned to the president at the time that I know about these 32 people. And I was like, I don't know what to do with these numbers. Is this something we talk about? Like all of these families like told me in confidence. So I didn't share anybody's names. Nobody knew who they were. And I was like, I don't, I don't know what to do. Do I just hold these stories? Do we talk? Like, what do we do? Other than and, all over Utah and Idaho, there were. Oh, I mean, I, mean, I went to four funerals in one weekend, you know, like so many, it just was. So he, so the president of affirmation at the time goes to church public affairs and says, this is, you know, a member of our board knows this and told him my name and, um, and said, we know of these numbers. And they're like, okay, we're taking this immediately to the quorum of the 12th. So it immediately went up to the 12th. And I am thinking what's going to come back is going to sound something like, well, we can't change doctrine, but our hearts go out to those families and we love everybody. Like some type of bullshit answer that they would say, do you know what they said? It's going to piss you all off. What's Wendy Montgomery going to say to the press so we can have a statement ready? Oh my gosh. What? It was about their image, not about the 32 kids that just died. It's about how they look. I, I just, I can't. Yeah. And I was like, I, so you can know, I can no longer in my mind think, well, they just don't know. They're good men and they don't know. No, they know. And they don't give a damn. And they know because we told them we met with over and over. Salt Lake, uh, multiple times. We met with we, church public affairs. Like we're telling them this it's in the news everywhere. So this isn't like, Oh, well, they just don't know what's happening on the ground or why. They know exactly why, and they know exactly that it's connected to, I mean, it was always bad, but the exclusion policy was devastating. Yeah. And I think this is a good lead into the place we were at in 2016, leaving Mormonism and how devastated we were. Um, and cause I went into a really angry phase. <laughs> I, I, I wrote for a website, uh, no more strangers. I have, a probably had an article published every month or so and just reacting and, and processing all of this. And, um, it was in this time where we, met with some friends and uh and there, there was other stuff going on. i don't know how much you want to i'm not sure where you're going well we so even though even though we'd left the church i did i stayed the same as far as word of wisdom i didn't drink i didn't get into anything and we started reading a bunch and had some friends who were looking at mdma um which is used widely as a treatment for PTSD. Mm-hmm. And we're like, okay, we're, we're pretty, we're definitely feeling we're pretty PTSD. fucking traumatized. Yeah. It's, it's considered, it's called secondary trauma when you're the one like holding space and helping people that are experiencing the primary trauma. 
And I was like, attending that many funerals, knowing that many people that have died. I was like, I literally was feeling PTSD. They were people we knew firsthand. It wasn't like, oh, a friend on Facebook or that type of friend. These are people we knew. Jordan's first kiss, first boyfriend, and one of his best friends. He was the head pallbearer at his funeral when he took his life to suicide. Like, I... You guys, I can't even tell you what those those months were like, just funeral after funeral of children that should be alive. Well, I don't but even know secondary PTSD, you guys. I mean, it's... Well, I mean, when you think of what what suicide comes down to for these kids is rejection. Like, that's what it is. And when the God that you believe in and the men that speak for him are rejecting you, and that translates into your parents and family rejecting you. There is no higher version of rejection. What is left if God and your family don't want you? Like, how do you help? How do you fix? There, there's just, you are giving them no hope. And it, I, you can't, I mean, that policy was like scorched earth. I've never seen or felt anything like that. So and we were kind of right on ground zero for all of it. So it was, mm-hmm. it was rough. And so we, we went and, uh, uh, so I basically, we went to a, a friend's house and up to that point, probably the hardest thing I'd ever had was Coke zero. He never even had coffee. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we made the leap from Coke zero to, or I did from Coke zero to MDMA. Hypothetically, just kidding. Yeah. There we go. As long as we're taking a pause, Tom, I just want to tell you, we're kind of Eskimo brothers with nomorestrangers.com because back in uh, 2012, so my my official tipping point was back in 2012, I wrote an article for uh, 2013 or 2012. Anyway, for No More Strangers because I- Really? That that was a whole thing and it was really bugging me. I was the gospel doctrine teacher at the time mm. and we had like one of those stake, uh, it was, it was ward conference where the stake president comes and tells us all about oh, yeah. how to deal with the gay community. You know what I mean? And yeah. I walked away from that meeting and I was like, there's too much in here that I'm just, I got to get out. So I wrote it, I wrote an article and, and, uh, I, I had run a, I, I had a website at the time, but then no more strangers contact me and say, can we publish this? Sure. And mm-hmm. my dad was I like, read it. what's it called? Yeah. What was your article called? I don't know. I wrote, I wrote a lot of articles. It was, but it was, it was my seminal article about supporting yeah. homosexuality in the face of what the Mormon church was telling me to do. Right, and right. my dad read the article and called me and was like, you need to get them to pull that article. You don't want to be associated with being pro uh, gay marriage, pro homosexuality. Right. And I, and it was the first time like, I, had, I, friends, man. Yeah, I have a really interesting relationship with my dad's awesome. I love my dad, but right. that was the one time in my life that I was like, dad, I, I believe more strongly in this than I do believe in the whole thing about the atonement and the first presidency right. and Joseph Smith. And so I'm going to leave it and I'm going to let it be public. And my, and that's nine years ago. And my dad and I still have a hard time with that kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, yeah no more. Anyway, we're, we're yeah. in a thing right now where we want to go back to Coke zero to MDMA, but I just wanted to tell you <laughs> yeah. we're Eskimo brothers for uh, right? no more strangers. Yeah. Cause that, well, you know, you come across things where 
you're seeing harm. And it's being caused by the place that shouldn't be causing harm. So there's this level of dissonance. But it again, it, it, it's leaning towards your integrity. It's like, wait, why is leaning towards my integrity putting me against the church? And that's a real tough question to answer. Because if I follow my integrity, um, it's not looking good for the church. <laughs> well, exactly. It's a tough question to answer for your integrity because of what it means to the church. Not your integrity. Right. It's what it means to your identity right. with the church. And that, right. I mean, right. listen, I don't, I've not gone through what the two of you have gone through, but I, I got kind of blacklisted and blackballed when I wrote that in my ward up in yeah. Washington, all that kind of stuff. My mom and dad were mad at me, but like, I'm not going to turn love away from people who are deserving of love just because 200 years ago, a guy claims to have found a rock that had plates underneath it. I don't give a shit about that part of it. I know what's in here, you know? Right. Anyway. Well, and if that was divine, yeah. why would it be causing harm now? I mean, it, it really, it, it, becomes very easy when you break it down to God would not be causing harm. Why is he causing harm? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Because he's not. Right. She's not. So that the then are. it's like, well, then this says something about the people who are having these revelations that, okay, if this is revelation and it's causing harm, it, then it can't be from God. And yeah. so it becomes very academic, actually, on that level. Yeah, either God is shitty or these men are shitty. And right. it's a lot easier to recognize the shittiness of those men. Yeah, well, they're running a corporation. But even yeah. if, so let's say, what if God's shitty? Then he's a shitty God. Why do I want to worship, worship him? <laughs> Why would I worship a piece of shit? Exactly. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. So, I mean, as far as like, well, I mean, we'll transition a little bit, like from the whole gay thing. So we were really deeply struggling in our marriage and had been for years. And you mm -hmm. can share as much as you want to share because that's right. more your story. And MDMA was what felt like our last ditch effort to keep us together. Wow. You know, we've been married like 26 years. We just had our 26th anniversary. So this was probably 23 years. And we'd been struggling for quite some time. And a right. friend had, that I really trust and love had... I think I was saying something like, oh, I can't handle pump or whatever. I would think I was just bitching about him to a friend. And he says, well, you know, you could try this, this MDMA. And it's like five years of marital therapy in a night. And I was like, sign me up. We so need that. And I was like, and I was a little nervous, but I was like, um, I trust this person. Well, you did a bunch of research. Into yeah, I'm, I'm like research yeah. woman. Like, oh, I read for months and months, everything I could find. And I was like, oh, I, I think we should do this. And he was kind of like, mm, I'm not sure. And I was like, and I was like this pressury, pushy wife. And I was like, we need to do this. And he's like, okay, you're a little scary. Okay. <laughs> you were the divine yeah. feminine leading him into the, the realm. Right. Right Thank the you. Yes. But, uh, I'm gl so glad we're talking about this right now, guys. Cause then this is why I was so like, I mean, we've done so many episodes right now, but we really haven't talked much MDMA. And yeah, MDMA, we need to talk about it. It is very, very different. It is yeah. not the same as anything that's a psychedelic, even though I think it's, it may be classified there, but it's really not a psychedelic in how it 
in practice. Mm-hmm. It yeah. was a miracle for us, truly, honestly. Like stuff yeah. I didn't think we would ever get past is forgotten and gone and healed. And I mean, go ahead, you tell the, you the, tell what you want the to experience tell I have um, is looking back that first night and all the times we've done it since. It's you always have a voice in the back of your head that's informing you, telling you about half the time you're not even aware of it. It's just like, oh, uh, telling you things about yourself. You look this way. You look, you know, um, yeah, if you've read your like self-esteem. Untethered Soul, Michael Singer, he yeah. calls it the neurotic roommate. That right. voice. Yes. Yeah. Right. You've always got this voice in your back of the head. And MDMA turns it off. It's like it turns your ego off in a way. And you don't even know what that's like until it's off because you've never had it off. It's always been on. Like since you have been conscious, you don't know what it's like to have your ego turned off. And it's not just that you can say all the hard things to your spouse. It's that you can hear all the hard things and you're not reacting to them because your ego would immediately be like to defend, coming up defend to, to defend yourself. And, and it doesn't because the ego's not on. I'd even so say you can didn't. literally hear these things and interact with your spouse and you can hear the hard thing and be like, Oh, I can't believe I've been doing that and that it's affecting you this way. And, and you can apologize and, and, um, it's, I, I can see exactly why they use it in PTSD because you, you can, the conversation you can have with your ego turned off is completely different from any other conversation you've ever had in your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, how, how specific can we, because this, this goes into, and I'll tell maybe more later, but what type of conversation are we talking about here? Is and if you say so, no answer, right. that's totally cool. So uh, no, uh, um, I mean, so in in honoring your tradition of masturbation stories, yeah, you <laughs> um, <We> got them. <laughs> yeah, so, right, right. So when I was ten year old, ten years old, good Mormon kid, walked into my friend's house. His parents were gone, and he was popping in and a VHS videotape of debbie does alice and for those of you listeners that don't know that's porn oh it's it's <laughs> like the most famous porn, porn of like <laughs> 70s of 80s 80. and 90s debbie we'll, does right. alice. we'll yeah. uh we'll put the link <laughs> right. in the show notes right now, let's link it let's link the yeah. <laughs> right and so i'm 10 i'm like prepubescent and it lights up my body like like Holy fire should probably light up a body, right? But doesn't ever at church. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, spiritual experience. Well, I mean, you know, being prepubescent, you don't know what it feels like anyway. And then just to have it explode like that with your first experience being like hardcore porn. Um, and, you know, just to make a long story shorter, you know, that became. Uh, hypersexualized me from the beginning to where to the point where as a teenager I could barely relate to girls because 
I'm always hyper. My body is literally hyper reacting to girls all the time. And I don't have anyone to talk to about it. I do the bishop route and, you know, he basically tells me to read scriptures and uh, stop. <laughs> and that's his, his wisdom. And that doesn't do shit. And not normalizing your feelings at all. Not no, for sure. No, it was, I, and see, this is the thing. It was all shame. If my body's reacting like that and that's wrong, I'm broken. I'm, I'm, because I shouldn't, I shouldn't be reacting like this and I can't control it. And masturbation cycles and shame cycles and, all through teenage years, get to my mission, still out of not very much in control. Um, even though maybe it was less a little bit, I don't know. But then, you know, you get the other thing, because it's not the only time I went to a bishop where it's like, especially after mission, it's like, well, you just get married and that'll fix it. And it's like, okay. And so get married and the more stress you induce and introduce, especially in when you marry so young, you have no emotional maturity and you're still just having you these start having wild, kids too young. Right. You know, it's just so stressful. My, my acting out never went beyond porn, which I'm extremely grateful for. And I, but I know a bazillion stories where, that becomes an escalation that's out of control that a lot of people go through. Affairs and yeah, affairs, prostitution. That's what he means by yeah, you know it. it um, went to bishop, you know, because it came out in our marriage maybe six years in. Went to a bishop I had a again. Two year old and a one year old, and my body looked like I had had a two year old and a one year old. Right. I was not cute little eighteen year old teenage body anymore. And, well, I, and discovered I don't even know that if that mattered. I mean, that's, I think it's, irrelevant. but you know, I made just, it all yeah. about, yeah, like I right? made it my fault. In your head, that's up, what it meant. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up in Southern California, but it could have been Provo or Boise of how sheltered and fundamentalist I was raised where in my mind, all I knew about porn was it was something that curious teenage boys did or dirty old men, yeah. not happily married men. I mean, we've always had really great chemistry, robust sex life. It's always been really good. So I was like, so why am I no longer enough? And then it became a whole narrative in my head where I'm not thin enough. I'm not sexy enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm a mom. Like there's nothing sexy about mom of toddlers, you know, spit up on my shoulder. Like I cannot compete with porn stars. So then it became, I made it all about me and it just, it was so hard. And, and because I didn't have the awareness of what a man's body does. I have no idea. I'm not a man. Like, I don't know that he reacts that way. Like I just kept thinking, well, stop. You are feeling horny and want sex. I'm right here. Like, why is this not enough? <laughs> you know? So it became, I mean, it about wrecked us many times. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, and we cycled through it through our marriage where I, I get better. And then it would always start to manifest the more stress I was under and it became like a acting out was a self-medication almost self um, for stress. And bishops never, first of all, a bishop has no training 
to help anybody with anything. And that's sad. And, and it's more a problem of belief that more Mormons think a bishop can fix everything. <laughs> and they just don't have the tool set to do it. And going to LDS therapist was, um, it's still locked into the same mindset that you just keep doing more good stuff, reading scriptures, throw yourself doing calling. And that is what the answer is. And it's not. It actually has nothing to do with solving the problem. Um, and so after we left the church and after, actually after we'd had a couple kind of really elevating MDMA experiences, I had the, uh, we had a friend recommend SAA, which is Sex Addicts Anonymous. And I walked into there and honestly, if you want to find spirituality, go to any type of AA meeting and 12 step program and listen to people because you will hear more honesty and, and people dealing with real things and humility and, and striving and gratitude and, than you'll ever hear in a fast and testimony meeting ever. Yeah. I went, I went to one of the meetings with them there. You, they're open. Anybody can go. And I went with them and I was in awe. I just sat there and I was like, I have never seen courage and vulnerability and authenticity like these men and women in right. this room. Like I'm, I was blown away that they were like, yeah, these are my struggles. And this is, this is, and I was like, I mean, you go to church and everyone's slapping on their like shiny, happy face. And you know, like, I was like, this is church. This is real humanity. It was beautiful. Yeah. It, for me, the dynamic, I don't think I ever could have healed myself or fixed what would the problem was unless I had left Mormonism because it removed all of the shame, all of the shame cycle. So now I can sit with these guys and we can just talk authentically about everybody's problems. And what they're doing and what's working and what's in Mormonism, you can never talk to anybody about it. <laughs> the bishop's yeah. just going to be like a confession and that's going to be feel shitty and not be helpful. And going to an LDS therapist is really unhelpful. And it's still not talking to real people. And you go into SAA and you're in these meetings with dozens of people. You're on the phone with them all the time, and you're actually getting into authentic solutions and uh, and actually walking through a spiritual, what I found to be a really spiritual experience of surrendering to healthy sexuality. And that was that was just life changing because in SAA, it's different from AA or AA, where obviously the goal of AA is don't drink. (laughs) It's that simple. Just don't drink alcohol. In SAA, everybody's kind of going to define what healthy sexuality is for them. There may be people who can look at porn and porn is not ruling their life and 
destroying relationships. And there may be other people who have to just abstain and from everything. But it's what's going to lead you to healthy sexuality. What's going to lead you to a, an ability to have healthy sexual relationships with your partner? Um, and well, and you define what that is. And for, you some, do, yeah. for some couples, they're like, we love going to strip clubs together. And that's great for them. It has to be like this mutual beneficial. Right. But I would also say, like, from the wife's point of view, I have a lot of like regret in how I shamed him for his his porn and masturbation because I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. I felt like it was like an affront to my femaleness at like, I'm not enough in some way, which is a narrative I've had since I was a very little girl. Like that's a whole other story, but I, I feel, cause I know that this is a huge struggle for so many couples, especially in like, you know, conservative religion. And I just, I wish the wives had ways to educate themselves that this is just so normal. It's so okay. But I, it was so bad in my brain for so long. Like I was like, I was almost to the point of ending our marriage because I'm like, I cannot anymore. You make me feel small with this. It makes me feel just uh, gross, you know? And, but I look at it and I look at it now. I was like, that was so stupid. It was so dumb. I, it's like, it is your body. You get to masturbate as much as you want. If you want, like, like, but I just, I had grown up in such a small, like myopic and even out of the church, I still was, you guys, I'm going to be yeah. pulling Mormonism out of me forever. It's like yeah. cellular yeah. level DNA. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yes. No. So I, I have a lot of regret in like, I was like, oh, I found it on the computer again. Let's go to the bishop, yeah. you know? And the bishop was like, well, you know, I was like, no, no, no. You need to pull his temple recommend. Like, like finding ways to punish him. Like, you guys, I hate that I did that. I just I mean, I wish that we, there was ways for women to, it's not worth like, I mean, marriages end over this and it's not anyways. Like that's, that's where MDMA helped me right. a lot. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We were able to finally enter into the conversations that led us to healing and being on the same page um, that we, you, you just couldn't have because there was too much ego and trauma in the way. And MDMA bridges both of those things to where you're actually able to have the conversation. And you, again, you know, you talk a lot about set, setting, place, and um, facilitating an environment where you can have, you can open up all these things. We've had so many uh, of our best conversations uh, on MDMA with ourselves and also really close friends too. Like, yeah. um, and you can talk about your traumas and, and the pain you've experienced and really feel the love from other people. And that's a, a real tangible thing. Well, one of the uh, magical things that I feel like it helps with, and you were talking about, you know, the triggers, because you're talking about when normally you have a conversation, especially with someone as close as your spouse, and you're probably just going to trigger each other. And right. if you're not feeling through those triggers, then it just, it just kind of ex escalates. Right. But one of the things I think the magic that, I mean, MDMA, and that's why I'm, I love that we're talking about it. It's what taught me how to be vulnerable. 
Um, cause mm-hmm. before MDMA vulnerability always felt like a hot stove and I hated, I hated the feeling of it, mm-hmm. but then on MDMA, it was a magical thing that happened where it's like, Oh wait, no, it's just like a warm sauna where like, yeah, at first it kind of, or like a spa, like a hot tub, you know, you put your foot in and it burns and you're like, but then you get in all the way and all of a sudden you feel the warmth just spread throughout your body. Like, Oh no, that's what being vulnerable is like. And that's what triggers are like too. That's what any feeling is like. You know, we have this aversion to feeling, Mm -hmm. but one of the things that I think why MDMA is so effective and why it quiets the ego is because now you're okay to feel anything. You're, you realize you're safe to Mm -hmm. feel whatever. And so it opens up the conversation to where you can just be yourself. And then if you're talking to a spouse and they say something that would normally be triggering, you're feeling through that trigger, like, the instant they're saying it and it's just like, you feel through it. And then it's just this flow of vulnerability. Um, and there's just so much use for it. I feel like that. One, one thing I really, really love about MDMA in particular, but I've also seen it had the effect with mushrooms as well is after you're off the plant medicine or the medication, it, your brain, like, having your ego turn off, your brain actually starts burning a new, it's learning. It learns a new thing. It can, it learns how to get there. And Wendy and I have found we've had MDMA like conversations without being on MDMA because both of our brains know how to go there now. So we, we can enter into some heart, you know, Maybe we're just having a day and and we can kind of move into a, hey, I need to have an MDMA-like conversation with you. And we both just like, okay. And the brain goes there because it knows that that's a place. Mm -hmm. Before you've ever had it, your brain doesn't know that that's a place to go. And once it knows how to get there, we've had, I don't think we've had any really escalated fights ever since you want to hear a funny MDMA story (laughs) yes yes, please so you know as as couples you know you argue and you bicker with your spouse or your mate I love that you call Audrey your mate I think that's adorable um but a couple times a year you have like the big fights you know like the rip roar or maybe every other year like the ones where you're like I want to stab you I'm so mad at you like bad at least that's my the the quiet tension of like one person sitting in the bed, one person leaning against the like dresser and like no yes, one wants right. to talk because you're so goddamn mad. You know what I mean? Yes. That's so we're in the middle of one of those and I'm, I'm just shooting daggers at him. I'm just glaring at him. And he's like, and I'm like the pursuer and he's the retreater in our, in our marriage. <laughs> <laughs> so we're in the middle of one of these moments and I just paused myself. I was like, we need to do MDMA right now. And he's like, what? In the middle, I was like, no, no, no. We're not getting out of this because I don't know if you guys are this way, but there's a couple issues that are like our thing that we fight about continuously. Whatever the thing is, it's like the same goddamn fight for 26 years. And I was like, I am done fighting about this. Let's do MDMA. And he's like, all right. So we take it and we're like in our bedroom and we're like glaring at each other across the room, arms folded. And it starts to kick in. You know, and we're just like, oh, yes. oh. so kind of like, you know, you just sigh a little bit. And you're just like, oh, okay. All right. You know, and you're just like, 
And then we start like moving a little closer and then it's fully in and like my head's in his lap and he's playing with my hair. And I'm sorry, honey, this is dumb. And, and then we ended up working through that main fight issue. We haven't thought about that for years since. Oh my like, God. It, yes. Honestly, like, and I know it's a silly, goofy story, but it's also like profound, you know, yes. because we're not fighting about that thing. In fact, I don't think we've had one of those like rip roaring type of fights since we've done MDMA since we started oh. like it just hasn't i mean we argue and get annoyed and bicker but not like the biggies not the big ones you know, you know? when you get a marriage license they should be like here's your marriage license <laughs> here's your mdma in case of emergency break glass <laughs> and, and this will help you <laughs> oh my god yeah i mean but but as far as like you know like if we're talking about like his sex addiction and i mean i'll just be real vulnerable that i had this ego thought through our whole marriage is, I mean, as long as I knew about the porn, that I was the good one. I was the righteous one. He was the messed up one. We have to fix you. So I'm like, it was like this superiority complex in a little way where I was just like, can you just get your shit together? Like, why is, why am I holding our family together while you're off doing whatever? And we've got these five little kids. And I had this whole story in my brain about how I was better and I wasn't broken. And Oh, you guys, I'm just cringing even saying all this out loud. <laughs> I mean, but, I, I want to, yeah. For, so I want to do two things. So first of all, I want to represent the listener just for a second here. So um, I think everyone who listens knows that Mike, I, I think people wonder what people look like. Well, they're listening to it on a podcast. So they're like, what does everybody look <laughs> like? It's a superficial thing, but it's a real deal. Mm-hmm. Mike looks like, what if Disney made a George Clooney character, right? That's oh, Mike, totally Mike looks is. like what would happen if Disney, <laughs> Disney Disneyfied George Clooney. That's what Mike looks like. <laughs> Second of all, with Tom and when, uh, Tom and Wendy. So Tom is like um, a real pale Denzel Washington had <laughs> sex with Jason Statham and they had a kid <laughs> And here's Tom. It's like, oh my God. Like you guys are talking about sex and, and, and your, your relationship that way. And I'm like getting kind of horny. Cause I'm like, looking at all these beautiful people. <laughs> Wendy. He's good looking. He's like, he's, Daughtry, man. he's, he's gorgeous. Wendy yeah. is drop dead gorgeous. Wendy is like a, bu- uh-huh. Wendy True is story. what, uh, for those male listeners out there, Wendy is what you picture when you picture like, Oh, I want to jerk off to this like amalgamation of different people in my life. And I want to like, so this is my experience. While you guys I'm are talking, fantasy. Yeah, so you guys are talking about all this stuff and I'm just sitting here going, I mean, this is serious, but I'm kind of like horny about it all. And the you second the thing, whole day. Yeah. The second thing I want to say to your point about the, the impact MDMA has on a relationship, the, the, the different, like, sex waves, like sexual vibes that a, that a marriage has. Uh, I'll have to check with my wife if this is an okay story to tell, but I'm going to tell it and then we'll, then we'll go back to it. So 10 years ago, we'll cut it out. (laughs) 10 years ago, my wife and I went to uh, uh, marriage counseling because it was like, things are fucked. Like we can't get this, we can't get it figured out. And I had left the church. She was in the like listening to John DeLynn phase of mm-hmm. being out of the church. And so we went to this therapist and it turns out this guy was uh, 
unbeknownst to us, he was an LDS therapist. My wife made the appointment. And so we kind of talked about our deal. And then he, the first thing he said to us was he looked at me and he said, okay, the first thing we need to do is we need to get you back to the temple. And yeah. And my, to my wife's credit, and I will love her forever until the, I mean, her in that moment. So we finished the session we left and we started talking about the session. And she was like, actually, when he said, we need to get you back to the temple. She goes, I realized that that's what I was subconsciously doing. And none of this other stuff matter. All, all this stuff that we've been bickering about and not seeing eye to eye about and blah, blah, blah. She was like, when he said it, he voiced what I was subconsciously feeling. And I don't, and she goes, I don't agree with that. And it was this, but, but, but Wendy, to your point, she has been inculcated with years of going through primary, going through young women's going and then becoming a teacher in young women's and becoming a teacher in primary. And she's like, Oh, these are the things. And our whole thing was, and now, I mean, now we're open about masturbation with each other. And she's like, oh, I masturbated, all that kind of stuff. Sure. Yeah. But for her, it's like, I mean, she'll almost say to me, we have different sexual waves because my whole thing is like, listen, I went on a mission and then I tried to get girls and then I got married to you. I know what rejection is. My wife is a bombshell and has never faced rejection in her whole life. She doesn't even know what the idea of rejection is because- Anytime she wanted a guy when she was growing up, anytime she wants sex, she gets it. But so she's never faced rejection. I'm, I'm steeped in rejection. I get it. I was like, man, I, as a missionary, I was getting rejected all the time. When I was trying to get girls, I was getting rejected all the time. When I want to have sex with my wife, I'm getting rejected all the time. And she suddenly had this like, aha, to her credit, she had this aha moment. She was like, Doug, I don't want to, I don't want to have sex. Go beat off. And I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> That's fine by I'm me. Loud. Like I'm happy to go do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like the thing that changed our whole marriage was number one, mm. some old guy saying, you got to get back to the temple. And my wife being like, my wife got all like flavor of love, you know, VH1. She was like, oh no, he does not need to go back to the temple. <laughs> and then the other thing. I kind of want to meet her. She sounds awesome. Oh, I like oh her. Yeah, She's yeah, my, rad. yeah. My yeah. wife is yeah. fucking radical. But the other thing was that she was like, oh, wait a minute. Doug knows about rejection and I don't. So if we have different sexual sort of like tides and waves, she can get sex whenever she wants. And she's like, if Doug wants sex and I don't want it, Doug, go masturbate. And then once in a while, she'll say to me, you were at work and I was feeling it. So I kind of got down with myself uh -huh. and it's like, oh, suddenly yeah. we're a healthy couple because of masturbation, which was the thing that yeah. like, led us to fucking therapy yeah i know right like yeah. same same the exact same thing and yeah now that you're talking about like rejection like that like i'm thinking about myself going hmm. i dated one guy for a number of years met tom got married like i don't think i've really experienced rejection either like anytime i want it he is ready and willing you know yeah. and it's and i'm like huh i'm sorry yeah that's mm. like i've actually never thought about that thank you doug Listen, you know, one, one thing I wanted to touch right. on to what Doug said here, though, about what that therapist said, LDS therapists, and this is something that broadly people need to understand, because you always go into it and you're like, oh, the therapist is there for my best interests. The therapist is there representing the church. 
Bingo. Again. In other words, his interests are getting you back in line with the church's teachings, not getting you to healthy sexuality. Because one of the things that really stuck with me is in 2004, uh, we went, I, you know, when it first came out, went to the bishop, he got me to a therapist. I remember specifically bringing up because I knew there was an SAA group in our town. And I was like, hey, what do you think? Should I go to SAA? And she told me straight up, she's like, that's only where people who are looking to hook up go. They're, they're, that, that would not be good for you. That's not where good Mormon people would go. And then in retrospect, where I never got healthy, add 14 more years of struggle and hardship. And I finally get to an SAA meeting and start getting my sexuality under control. I'm a little pissed about that because her priority was not me. It was getting me in line with the church and every therapist that was an LDS therapist. That's they're being paid by the bishop to do that and reporting to the bishop. It's not private. That's the other thing. Yeah. There's no, there's no privacy clause because they're like kind of feeding that info to the bishop. Right. Right. And that's like, Oh, wait a minute. The bishop is not trained, but he's still the ultimate, like it's still the fucking patriarchy. So I will right. trade. So I yeah. connected with that really yeah. hard for a sec. Hey, can we take a three minute? I'm about to pee my pants. Yeah. Can we take a, can we take yeah. a three minute yes. break? Let's do it. Yeah. Yes. And then we'll get into candy flipping. Maybe I think is something okay. I want to yes, talk yes. about. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to go pee too. Okay. Same. Oh, this is so great, Tom. Thank you. Yeah. I, I don't have, uh, I don't mind talking about SAA and what I, my experience was, um, I think a, a year, year and a half ago, I sat down all five of my kids, uh, with Wendy and poured out the whole story. A lot of what was said here and, uh, so all literally everyone who's important to me already knows. Um, and, and even friends, it, it, it's, 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 again, it's like, once you get past the things you can't talk about and bring them all into the light of day where you're like, now you're bonding with people in ways you've never bonded with before. And by me telling all my trauma and sex trauma and masturbation, guess what happens? Now we're having all these conversations with our kids. Yes. Uh And here's what sexual healthy sexuality looks like to our kids. I never in my wildest dream could have had that conversation with my dad. No, (laughs) same. No. And just like you were saying, if I went to my Bishop about it uh, or anyone, they wouldn't, they didn't normalize it. You know, my mission president didn't normalize it, you know? Um, I felt like I was the only one doing it. <laughs> right. You think you're the only messed up person. And yeah. then, and that's why it was a world difference. I walk into SAA and I'm like, oh, wow, I'm not the only one. And wait, he's a dentist and he's a finance guy. And there's people here from every walk of life. There's a guy who's like 80 or something like that. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, there are people of all ages and it's like, oh my gosh, it's all normalized. Yeah. And that's just magic. And that's why I love you think you're so messed up. Well, that's where I love it. You guys are being so vulnerable because I just think that's where we start to shift things is when we just like, let's just talk about it. And then because right. it's not unique people, you know, I mean, it's unique that you're being vulnerable about it. I mean, not, I say unique, but it's, I think it's, people don't like talking about it, but right. everyone goes through it in some because degree. And yeah. that's the magic of whether it's MDMA, mushrooms, or some of these things. You're overcoming ego by diving into your own subconscious levels. Mm-hmm. And, and until you're doing that, your brain doesn't even know that that's a thing. You can't yeah. walk up to people and say, hey, can you turn off your ego for a minute? I'd like to talk to you without your ego getting in. I mean, even that <laughs> sentence alone brings your ego up, right? Right. Like, like you well, your ego? what ego? What are you talking about? I don't have no ego. <laughs> it's just, yeah. I mean, it's magic to, for the mind to know how to go to a place that your ego is not in front of everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's yes. a gift. I mean, and if anything in America people need is to, get their ego out of their face mm-hmm. out of for whatever well, name the like, thing. we totally judge people differently now i was like oh you're messed up you need mdma <laughs> i was like can i just give you some like just just trust me it's a vitamin just you guys just take the vitamin go sit in your bedroom together yeah good. all right now that doug's back i kind of want to say what one one more thing before we get into the candy flipping here with well first doug i just want to say Shalise once said you were a combination of Thor and Aquaman. And I feel like that's pretty accurate. That's <laughs> well, accurate. Yes. Yeah. Thor and Aquaman. I love that you're a pale Denzel Washington. He's as white as they come. But he <laughs> is, right? Like you look at how uh-huh. symmetrical his face. I've been looking at his face this whole time. Like, oh God, he looks like Denzel. He's, he's got a good face. He, he does I'm have a, a good face. Great I'm face. a fan of that face. Same. I have a good dome yeah. where you have to hide it under like a couple wisps. Oh, no, the coma ain't happening ever. <laughs> Although there was, before we get into candy flipping, there was actually like one more thing I wanted to say about MDMA because I was talking about like how I was feeling like he's the broken one and I'm holding the family together and like, here's all my ego. Like, I'm good. You're bad. Like, and I would shame him and then wonder why he couldn't get out of his shame cycle. Like mm. when so much of it was me wow. doing it to him. And I was like, why can't you just stop? And I'm, but I am part of perpetuating the thing that I hate of what's happening in our marriage. Um, so for me, MDMA did a couple things. It let me say the hard things that I needed to say and have him hear me and offer like heartfelt, legitimate compassion and apology. And I also could hear him say, you know, honey, it's really hard when you come down hard on me when I mess up or some, and I was like, Oh yeah. And I could, instead of me being like, well, just don't mess up then. Like, and having like this whole thing, like all that was just shut off in a way where I was like, Oh, I'm actually a part of what's wrong here. It's not all you, it's me too. And I could own my own messiness in a way I never knew how to before. 
you know, because I have, you know, I'm female, but I have a lot of masculine energy where I'm the go or I'm the do or I'm going to get all the stuff done. And I don't ever sit back into like the feminine, like receiving mode, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I'm learning how to do that better now because so much of my worth my whole life was about doing and performing and being and do all like that was my worth. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think it speaks to the feminine wounding just, we were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Like I had my knee replaced about a year and a half ago and I literally had to learn to sit still. And I had a ton of therapy around, but I'm worthless if I'm sitting still, if I'm not being the mom and the doer and taking care of everybody, like that's what makes me feel worthwhile as a human, like having to find my worth outside of that. MDMA helps so much to heal like a myriad of things. Like childhood things, my own internal yuck, you know, and between the two of us and owning my part in our like messy parts of our marriage was huge for me because I had so much ego where it was all his fault. Just figure your shit out and we'll be fine. And MDMA was such a a soft tool for me to just be like, oh yeah. Oh honey, I'm so sorry. And, and to have him validated in a way where he had such shame and felt so broken and I'm piling on the shame and his feelings are broken. And I like, I just want to cry over how much I hurt him unknowing, you know, like it just, oh, cause he's like the best man I've ever known. Like he is the best that humanity produces, honestly, and the best father and I couldn't see any of that because I had these Mormon blinders and all like, so, and I was like, I about ruined us and MDMA, like, like I need to preach the good word of MDMA. I will go on a mission (laughs) and (laughs) pass it out to everybody. Like I want to hand that stuff out like Halloween candy. It heals people. It healed me in a way. I just, yeah, I could go on and on, but. I mean, MDMA please do, Tom. How does that feel miracle. to hear that? I mean, that, that I mean, I'm right. I'm feeling spirit right now. <laughs> no, it's it's powerful, and you know, as a person who, uh, in this scenario and in many scenarios, you would say, "Well, but he's the one who has the sex addiction problem, the masturbation problem, the porn problem," and, uh. To hear that feedback is, um, like I said, it's so diametrically different than the narrative I had had for 40 plus years of my life. All of those things were blocks to healing. And so finding healing here is, is just magical to be able to hear and say and mean all of these things both from her side and from my side i mean none of it matters if i can't get it together and and this was a part of the healing path that got me into saa because you know what i was able to go into saa and because my mind now knows a little bit more about how to check my ego i'm absorbing saa better and that's the thing i think is can't be understated is because your mind starts learning how to do different things, like not have its ego in front of you, you can carry that off the medicine. 
And that's life changing. Yeah, it speaks to a little bit because we were talking the, you know, peekaboo as a kid, right? Like peekaboo is actually a very healthy game for kids and for us Mm -hmm. because it teaches kids the concept of object permanence that even when you can't see it, it's still there. Mm-hmm. And you think about, uh, you know, and MDMA in that sense, you know, Audrey and I've had moments where we know we can have those hard conversations. We know we can get back there because we've been there before. Right. I know that stepping in the hot tub is I'm not stepping in a stove. Now I'm stepping in a hot tub. I know I can get back there. And so even if my ego is like, wait, no, don't do that. He's like, no, we got this buddy. You know, we're okay. We're okay to go here. We've been here before. You know, we've been here before. And we're okay. It knows how to get there. And even though, you know, the, his eyes are covered for a minute, it's like, no, just like open your eyes. You can, mm-hmm. it's still there. The person's still there. Yeah. yeah. And it's a, it's a powerful thing. Right. We actually, and I don't know if we want to stay on MDMA or what our time is like. We did, we did MDMA with our oldest two children. I'm not sure if I told you about that or if you want to even go into that. Yes. It, love to go into that. It was, <laughs> you guys, it was the most magical night of my life. I can't. So we did it when, so Jordan was 22, Susanna was 21. So adults, you know, and we've never hid anything we've done from our children. We're very open. We tell them, um, I want to demystify medicine and alcohol, like all the things so that they don't, you know, do the crazy partying in college. Like, let's just be responsible kind of thing. But as parents, you know, that in some way you're fucking your kids up right? Like we all know we're doing it. We try not to, we try and be good parents, but we all have parent baggage, right? As wonderful as our parents were. So, and having experienced MDMA, I'm like, I want to do this with our older two kids and give them a place for them to air their grievances with us as parents. Like, yeah, it really sucks when you do this mom and have them see us, hear them, deeply hear them and apologize and Like, I cannot tell you what it would mean to have an apology for my parents from some things. It would mean everything. And they did the best they could. They're good people. But gosh, I really needed them to be different sometimes and to have them just own it. Like, yeah, you know, I was I was a mess. You know, I was a human doing the best I could or whatever. So that was kind of our intention going in. And with Jordan, what I thought would happen was for Jordan to be like, you know what, mom, it kind of sucked that you raised me Mormon and I was gay. Like there were times I didn't want to live and have him see me own that and hold that for him and be Mm -hmm. like, yeah, I, we did. And I'm so sorry. And, and for Susanna, I mean, there was, there was a year or two where it was the Jordan show. It, It had to be, he was suicidal. Like it was all hands on deck for him. And I really probably was on autopilot for our other four kids. It was everything for Jordan to keep like, you know, squeaky wheel gets the oil. Right. And I was thinking she would be like, you know what, mom, you gave Jordan all your love and attention. And the rest of us were just sort of in the background and, or whatever she, that's what I'm thinking she is feeling. Right. So we tell them about MDMA, explain to them, ask them if they're interested in doing it. They were. I I also thought they may have trauma from like the last seven, eight years of this whole, because it's not just people we know who have died by suicide. It's Jordan's first kiss. It's 
all, all sorts of people in the world. I mean, our kids have gotten to know a lot of these people mm -hmm. and who've gone through trauma or died. They've attended the funerals with us. Right. Yeah. So it's not like they're not, they were there. And so we're also anticipating levels that they've had levels of trauma. Yeah. So we we take the medicine and Sus Jordan's very touchy, huggy, lovey. He, Susanna is not. She is like the no hugger. Like, I'm happy when I get a fist bump or a little shoulder bump or hey, mom. Like, <laughs> yeah. she's not a hugger at all. Like, it makes her uncomfortable. And I have to, like respect that. I could tell the minute it kicked in because she came and sat right by me and wrapped her arms around me and just put her head on my shoulder and just hugged me. And I was like, I can die and go to heaven right oh now, this God. moment. It was so beautiful. And we asked some kind of leading questions. You know, I said, Jordan, did you ever feel like, you know, it was, you know, were, do you have resentment towards us for raising you Mormon? And now, you know, knowing that you're gay, and he goes, no. Mom, not at all. And I said, well, what about Prop 8? Like, we were yes on Prop 8, living in California. I mean, that's another story that I have a lot of shame around that I'm still trying to work out. But then he's like, Mom, the second you knew, you had my back more than anybody else. He's like, mm. I never felt that for a minute. You know, so I was like, oh, all right. And then with Susanna, I said, did you ever feel like neglected or like I wasn't there for you like we were for Jordan? And, and she goes, Mom... <laughs> it makes me so emotional she goes mom i know i'm your daughter but when it comes to jordan i am your sister and i am standing shoulder to shoulder and we are fighting for him she goes i have never felt neglected i was so damn proud of you every minute and i just like complete <laughs> puddle of tears like to hear my kids say those things where i thought i had deeply hurt them and expecting them to be like yeah mom this really sucked and have them be like Oh, no, no, that's not, that's not at all what came out. It was, and they shared other hard things that not necessarily related to like us as a family, but like things, you know, Susanna had, she went to war for Jordan in high school. They're 12 months apart. They're all, they're like twins. And she, you know, this little itty bitty freshman girl, you know, is like checking guys into lockers and pushing them into lockers, like that are like you know, making fun of her brother and, you know, calling him a fag and all this. And she's just, she went to war for him and lost most of her friends, ate by herself in high school every day. At, and we don't know any of this. She's not sharing it until MDMA. And you're, she's losing all of the church group friends because we're becoming the outsiders very quickly. Yeah. yeah. And we don't know any of this is happening. And then she gets emotional and starts crying. And she goes, mom, I'm a bad person. I'm just mean. Mm. I, like, I did mean things to these people that were mean to Jordan. I said, honey, you are protecting your brother. Like you are absolutely a sister dragon in every way. Fuck like yeah. you are protecting him. So she goes, but I just, I was mean. And I was like, no, you were strong. There's a price, you know, mm. and, and our kids were, Enduring a lot of it, and it, but it was magical because it opened all the communication to places that were deep inside them that needed some sunlight to heal. And for Jordan to hear all the things Susanna did for him that he had no idea, right? You know, and just to watch the two of them bond and just hug each other, and I love you so much, brother. And I was like. It was, you guys, it was the most beautiful. 
it was literally how the celestial kingdom would feel if that was a thing. Oh my gosh. I'm like choked up over here. Like (laughs) I have sons and daughters and it's like, I mean, I don't know if you know the impact that this, this story is having on people, but on me, it's like, it's wow. I can't even, I can't even imagine. Every, every parent of adult children, like I, we told our younger kids, cause we have 22, 21, 18, and then 15 year old twins. And I, I was like, as soon as you guys are adults, and if this is something you want to do, we will happily guide you through this. And it, it like changed how we parent. Like, so you feel like, so, so your hmm? twins are 15 and I have a 15 year old. Mm-hmm. You talk openly about this with them as well. Yes. With oh all my of them. Gosh, I'm so jealous right now. Yeah, like, everything's had to be out in the open because we've gone through so much for like eight, nine years. You know, there's no way to hide everything that everybody's going through. And so we kind of just kind of transitioned to this place. Like I was telling Mike, uh, I don't know if it was in a place where we're recording or not, but, you know, I, I sat down with all my kids like, a year or a year and a half ago with Wendy and told them the whole, the whole story I just told you guys about seeing porn when I was 10 and how it impacted my life as a teen and all the way through my marriage. And I said, you've seen times where your mom has like lost it and been distraught. And that was because of me. And they're thinking I'm like the crazy out of control parent. Because they don't know what's happening. And I'm protecting him by not telling the kids why I'm so upset. So then I'm feeling like this is really unfair to me because I'm having like what feels like a full body trauma response. I'm so angry and so upset and I can't, I'm about ready to lose it. And my kids are seeing it and he looks like this innocent, you know, like, and the kids are, the kids are like, dude, mom, calm down, you know? And I was like, so it felt you know, my ego side felt very vindicated. Like now, you know why your mom's a psycho sometimes, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it laid, it laid everything out in front of the kids in a way that allowed it, you know, in a it opened up conversations that lasted for months because I was the one to initiate the vulnerability um, and dive into hard stuff. and. It was um, the bravest thing I've ever seen a human do. I was sitting next to Tom holding his hand and he was just trembling, shaking, like petrified to share something so vulnerable, you know, because we have three girls and two boys and our girls are like strong feminists. Like if any man does any, like, so we were kind of afraid that they would be like, dad, you're an asshole. So sorry, mom. Why are you still married to him? Like, cause our girls are like, we don't put up with shit from men. You know, like, so he was afraid that they would have like some harsh judgment towards him. Yeah. They didn't, not at all. Like they saw the vulnerability and the courage that it took him to say that. And it it was was, just really, it was beautiful. It opened up their, and like Wendy, she can't receive support if she's protecting me because, you know, of, of how things went down. It was just. Uh, I, I guess it's answering the question of we've we've transitioned to this place of vulnerability and openness with all of our kids. 
uh, age appropriate. I mean, they're 15 now, so probably would not have been as much if they were younger. But it's magical to not have any baggage that's not just out in the open. Your secrets become cancers inside your body and cause hardship. You know, the things that come out in mushroom trips that are traumas are because you've stored it away because you didn't want to see it. My gosh. Well, and with our kids, even our, our younger ones, our house is like a really great place to do medicine. Like we have a pool, we have a hot tub. Like, so we are trip sitting people quite often here and we're, we've been very open with them for a couple of reasons. I want to demystify all of it. I don't want there to be like, Ooh, drugs bad. You know, like how we all grew up, just say no to like, and, yes. And drugs. I, I don't even like that word because immediately you're thinking meth, heroin. Like, you know, I was like, this feels like it's a vulgar almost to say drugs. Like this is, this is like healing medicine and we use it. And we've tell this to the kids. Like we use this in a way as like a therapy and like a healing. We're not like popping medicine, you know, popping the stuff and going to a rave. We're like in our backyard or like in our bedroom, you know, just talking. And so it's, and they have definitely seen our relationship improve a hundredfold. And they've seen us parent them differently. It's funny, like our older kids will say to their younger siblings, you guys are getting a way different mom and dad than we got. Like, <laughs> you guys don't have to watch church movies on Sunday. Go to mutual. <laughs> you guys go to seminary. <laughs> you you want to hear one thing that's funny about the transition to being out of the church is, and this was really significant for Jordan in particular, because he was the oldest. And, uh, but when you leave the church, your children don't know the difference between coffee and crack. They're the same. It's all the same. (laughs) It it could be heroin or marijuana. They don't know the difference. They're all equally going to kill you in some way. (laughs) That's all they know is, I mean, you drink tea and you're probably going to die. Oh my gosh. Right. There's no, there's no knowledge. There's no. So in fact, one of the first things we got, we started a a training course for kids in affirmation because a lot of these gay kids are leaving the church of necessity um, and have no idea what the difference is. So we literally had a guy who was a doctor go through, okay, here's coffee. Coffee is not bad at all. Here's, you know, tea. Tea is not bad. <laughs> you literally have to go line by line through every substance oh that was banned. Because they're all equally evil when you're in Mormonism. But when you're out in the real world, they are nothing like the same thing. Even alcohol, there's about 50,000 different types of alcohol that have completely different impacts on you. Oh, yeah. And and you have such innocent knowledge that you, you, you literally have no idea the difference between one thing and another. No. And that's actually a danger. That's a it real is. danger coming out of Mormonism is that ignorance because you don't know. Well, and, you know, yeah. we we're kind of thinking, oh, they're only 15. They don't really know. They know. They know. They're like That's way the thing, smarter right? than we yeah. were at 15. Like, right. so if 
if mom and dad are acting a little weird, like it's better to just say, just so y'all know we're rolling tonight or just, so you know, we just, yeah. we're doing some mushrooms and, you know, like it feels so freeing to just be able to tell them. Oh and, God. and there's not like this weird judgment. And they're like, Ooh, that's exciting. Like, tell me what it was like. And it takes the fear out of it. Yeah. Yes. And they're like, well, and we tell them, we're like, we're so happy to do this with you when you guys are adults, like yeah. happy to do it. Like, and they're like, okay. And then there's no like, Ooh, what's ha-? you know, there's no like, weirdness. Yeah, the, the forbidden yeah. zone or, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's well, like just it, demystified, destigmatized. It speaks to, there's a, a thing in a book I read uh, called the book is letting go, but it's, basically talking about as, as humans and especially empathic humans, you can, you pick up on what's not being said. You pick up on the energy of what's being repressed, mm. right? Oh, shit, yeah. dumb. they know stuff's happening. They know stuff. They feel that. And so that's mm-hmm. why, and that's why I wanted to talk about with authenticity and how beautiful of a, of a thing you guys just did when you were sitting down and being vulnerable with your kids and what I feel like the, the rush and the, the feeling we get, you know, when we're on MDMA, part of it's just, not even the drug part of it's just the Russia being vulnerable and the connection mm-hmm. we get from that. I mean, you were talking mm-hmm. about SSA and almost like feeling the spirit there. And you think of like those right. rare fast and testimony moments when someone's actually up there speaking their truth and it's mm-hmm. resonating right. because yeah. that authenticity and vulnerability, it resonates because what happens if someone's up there not speaking their truth, they're saying one thing, but you're feeling the vibration and, and you feel the, mm-hmm. the dissonance how their mm-hmm. words are not matching up with whatever energy you're feeling from them. And so yeah. you can talk about that. You're saying with your kids, your kids are feeling something. And mm-hmm. before they didn't know that, you know, they didn't know they, 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 they saw mom stressed and dad like this and they are feeling all that and they're just confused. And so they're probably right. projecting it all on themselves and like, Oh, I did something wrong. Right. right? Like, yeah. And or, they're feeling fear. And I don't, yeah. so I don't want you to be afraid because we're messy. You know? Yeah. And so yeah. there's a power when you're speaking that vulnerability and that truth and God, guys, I'm just feeling it right now. <laughs> I, I got to just add something here. Like the thing about they know, right. The, the kids know more than we think when they know. So yeah. uh, a couple of weeks ago, my, my 15 year old daughter makes comments pretty free. It's like, she, we talk pretty openly with her about like, sex and you know we're pretty sex positive and you know she's got this boyfriend oh, like I, I got I can't I can't tell her stories because it's it's her life but like sure you know once in a while she'll say like you know we'll be all hanging out and she'll be like well you know you you guys know dad dad never knows what's going on anyway because of whatever you know and she'll kind of make a eye roll kind of thing you know the other night she came in at midnight and of course I was fucking balls to the wall high as a kite and as soon as she walked into our bedroom and I'm, I'm going to say this, like I, I, you know, stone people say stony things once in a while. Sure. So yeah. She, she walks into our bedroom and the first thing I said to her was, Oh, did you bring me a snack? <laughs> and she starts laughing like, no dad, I didn't bring you a snack, you know, blah, blah, blah. So then a couple of days later, she and my wife are talking about, we, we had heard about, our friend's son who was smoking joints and they were really worried about it. So they came, they came to me and they were like, what do we do? And I'm like, I'm glad he's smoking joints. Do you want me to like get him better weed, you know, type of thing. And our (laughs) high quality stuff. Yeah. I can get him some fucking high quality stuff instead of the stuff he's getting on the ski hill. But um, my, my daughter was talking to my, and they're like, Oh, you know, I would, my my daughter goes, I'm not into like, 
you know, I know, I know you guys drink and I know you, I'm not into smoking cigarettes or drinking booze, but like I could see myself smoking marijuana and my wife goes, Oh, smoking marijuana. What do you mean? And my daughter goes, mom, then looks at me and then goes like this. I know the listeners can't see this, but the three of you can see this. My, my daughter goes, mom. And like <laughs> rolls her eyes and looks at me. So this conversation is coming up for me. So I'm so happy to have like some mentors yeah. in you and to hear about like, it's okay. It's okay to talk about that. But mm-hmm. my daughter knows my dad's a well-known pothead in this town, you know, type of thing, you know. And it's like, we think we're being like so sneaky. I think uh, I'm Johnny you know? Sneaky over here. Like just Mr. Oh. Cool Joe, nobody knows. But my daughter's like, dad asked me for a snack at midnight. I know what's up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the bedroom kind of smelled like a skunk. Like, what was yeah. that? No. She's like, what's going on here? Yeah. Oh, oh man. Well, I don't guys. know if you guys want Like we can chat about like the candy flipping. You guys tell what? us. Here's what I'm so I've so I I I didn't even tell you guys I went to sacrament meeting today in Salt Lake and then drove Mm -hmm. here and we're recording. My my niece got home from her mission, so I went to the whole thing. But I'm wondering if we can do, Mike. Maybe you. I I don't want to. This is a great flow. We knew we would have a great flow from the minute we you know. And I knew we didn't have enough time. You know. I know that's what I was like. What do we? How do we narrow it down? Can we do a part? Mike, aren't we, aren't we recording a quick one on Tuesday night? Can we do yeah. a Tuesday night? Is, is there yeah. any possibility? I just, all this conversation about kids and wives and family, I, I want to, I, I got to go home before my, everybody goes to bed type of thing. You know, mm-hmm. is there any chance you guys have is, Tuesday is night Tuesday? available? Yeah, Tuesday I don't have any. Do I can do it. Do you have any Tuesday? I, I just, I, I, I'm, I, I, I like, having all the stuff out there for people to be, to connect with it. I, I do a lot of your podcasts and I think it's this conversation, the newest of the conversations that needs to be had widely. Mm-hmm. With oh, people. I agree. Yeah. We're like happy to do a part two. There's, I mean, part three, I, yeah. four and five, yes, six, I just, seven. I, do you guys want to take over the do? podcast? Yeah. We, we, we haven't. You guys are too good yeah. at it. Guys, yeah. I, I'm buzzing right now. You guys. Me too. Are, Me too. I love I'm, you guys. I just, I love you so much. And I know we've shared so much of our story. I just want you to know, like your podcast, I was like, oh, they would be like my brothers. Like the brothers I wish my brothers were, that's how they feel. And it's like, and I'm only listening to a lot of podcasts. Like, can we hang in real life? Like, I we're, we're love all the you same guys. soul fam, you guys. It's time we get yeah. together. The soul fam. Yes. <laughs> I just feel like connected to you guys. And I'm like, I just, maybe it's the drugs. Who knows? I don't. Well, maybe I it's just, the fucking know. universe. Maybe we clung to each other when we exploded from a star. And now we're finding each other. Finally, that's what's happening. Like, I'm in. Let's do yes. this. I'm yes. fucking in. I'm sorry to cut this thing short but no, like, no, 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 no. We're, we'll talk in a couple days and just go be with your family okay and, and i love y'all. your 15 year old daughter that you're stoner <laughs> she knows i gotta just tell i just gotta come clean yeah just own it. it it's not even just coming clean it's telling her the why yep. this is what it does this is what it means to me mm-hmm. and now it's not a, it's a stoner on the side it's oh this is what it means to dad yeah, proud, proudly a human a with it. What's that? Mm-hmm. I said, and dad's a better human with it. It's she teaching sees him. That. It's I mean, she knows him. that. Yeah. 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 And that's important. 
Very cool. Anyways, all my love to you both. All right, guys. So much love. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to Mormons on Mushrooms podcast. We have so much fun recording it. And if you love it, we would absolutely love it if you could leave a review on wherever you get your podcasts. It would really help our visibility so more people can listen to it and be enlightened and hear our crazy stories. So thanks again for tuning in. Bye.